Hello, all you beautiful misfits and rejects out there. Thank you for joining me for episode 102 of Misfits and Rejects. In today's episode, we hear from Anthony Jansen. Anthony is a very successful restaurateur, entrepreneur, businessman from Margaret River, Western Australia. He actually gave me my first job, my only job in Australia when I was living there. And I was working in his kitchen and just I can say he was, you know, probably one of my first mentors or somebody I considered a mentor and, and just how he approached business and some, somebody who I've taken a lot of the lessons that I learned from him, watching him operate his business and applied it into my own businesses and how I just operate in life in general. Um, he has a tremendously positive attitude within the work environment, um, is very considerate of all his employees in the sense of showing them, you know, how to get things done in the correct way, in a very polite way, in a very, um, understandable way, you know, like for example, rolling dough balls with my left hand versus right hand. He took the time to ask me, are you left-handed or right-handed? And then showed me specifically how he needed me to roll the pizza dough balls out. And I just really took that to heart and feel that that's how I want to approach all the employees that I have within my business and really empower them to do the best they possibly can do within the business structure that I create. So I had him on the show to tell his story. Um, I hope you get a lot out of it. I think he's a really rad dude, super positive and has a lot of value to offer. Please remember to pull out your phone right now and subscribe on your podcast player that you're listening to this on. Um, please leave a comment about Misfits and Rejects. That really helps me in the ratings on iTunes or whatever podcast player you're listening on. Please remember that you can follow me on Instagram. I'm posting a lot on Instagram and you can really track my travels and how this whole process of developing misfits and rejects is going developing my online presence within the other business ventures that i do have which is you know my surf instruction business surf progression techniques where i'm launching a surf course i'm developing the service side of things here in thailand as i as i record this and you know it's a really cool place just for you to track me your host chapin and how i'm designing my life in the way that i want and also remember, if you're a big fan of Misfits and Rejects, you know you can support Misfits and Rejects on Patreon. Patreon is a platform for fans to support with a financial donation, a monthly financial donation of whatever is comfortable for you. You know whether it's five dollars, ten dollars, whatever you want, it's all greatly appreciated. None of this is expected, though. Um, I'm really happy just delivering these really cool, awesome, inspirational stories for you on a weekly basis. And just having you listen is the greatest reward. So please remember to subscribe. With that said, please enjoy this story with Anthony Jansen. Welcome to Misfits and Rejects, a podcast about the lifestyle design of expatriates, travelers, entrepreneurs, and adventurers. I'm your host, Chapin Cruder. Enjoy. I didn't fit in America. With cocaine, there's just always too many guns and too many bad attitudes. I quit the limiting stories. Really try to overcome that fear. And right there, for any of your listeners, a lot of what I was to do in the rest of my life was formulated by the fact I just went and did it. Welcome to another episode of Misfits and Rejects. Today in episode 102, I have a very special guest, my old boss from Australia, Margaret River, Anthony Jansen, somebody who gave me an opportunity and who I just fell in love with, his attitude, his work ethic, his overall presence is something I've carried with me and tried to apply to my own business endeavors. And with that said, Anthony, welcome to the show. 
Hey, thanks, chaps. Nice to uh, nice to hear from you. Yeah, brother. And just for the audience, when I was living in Australia, they gave me the nickname Chaps. So when he refers to me as Chaps, it's okay. He's uh, bringing back a, a fun memory for me in the past. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny because I remember walking in the day that uh, you gave me the opportunity. I, um, I had to borrow the bike from the hostel manager or something like that, ride down to the Nara bar at like, it took me an hour to get there. I got lost, came in like 10 minutes late. I walked in the back end of the kitchen and I, and I, and everyone introduces themselves and it's like, you're AJ, this is Jabba, this is Rosie, this is Dino. And I'm like, who the fuck, where the fuck am I, dude? This is crazy. (laughs) I remember that. I actually still tell the story about, I, I remember asking you, well, can you get here and can you get here tonight? And uh, I remember a pause where you looked at me and I think in that five seconds that you paused, you were probably trying to work out how the hell you were going to get back here. <laughs> yeah, dude. I mean, I did. I rode my bike back and forth for a month, dude. And I think about that to this day, how it's like I was kind of amped on it. I was like, oh, this is going to be great to tell my you know, grandchildren, whatever, that, you know, this is how I had to hustle to make it in life. And like, I still just own a bike, dude. Like, I don't even own a car. I still ride my bike everywhere. <laughs> Oh, so good. Still hustling. But yeah, so Anthony um, is a chef. He considers himself a chef. But in my mind, I think you're more than that. I mean, you're an entrepreneur, a restaurateur, a businessman, even though you don't like those titles. Um, he's owned multiple restaurants in Margaret River. He's won multiple awards for his endeavors. And I brought him on just for that kind of general sort of that attitude that he just has, that very positive, very sort of um, we can accomplish anything attitude, even though in the moment. I think at times in the kitchen, I remember thinking like, there's no fucking way we're going to be able to do this, dude. And you're always just like the captain of the ship. Like we're going to all go down with it or die trying, dude. So, you know, when you first, when we first met, you drove me home that first night, dude. And this is kind of what I want to, how I want to start this episode. Cause I think attitude is something that has always stuck with me from you. And you told me that you had written a book on attitude. Has that book ever gone into publication, dude? Oh, s- sort of. Well, not really. I, I, I did a seminar where I was um, – part of the seminar was that you had to go and develop a product to sell and I didn't have a product to sell. A lot of people were, that were there had a, had a product to sell um, and the the people within, you know, the, the leaders of the seminar um, asked me, well, you, you know, you must have something to sell and I'm like, well, we sell food and drink so, I, you know, I don't really have that to sell to anybody. Um and then they started asking a bit about our businesses and, and um, you know, that's about turnover and, how, you know, how much money are we turning over and how old am I and all these all these sort of little questions like that, which when they got the answers, they were like, well, I'd be pretty interested to learn how a 22-year-old guy is turning over $1.5 million in a restaurant in Margaret River, so I think you should write a book. Um, and that kind of is how it came about. So I ended up having to write this, well, not having to, but, you know, writing this book, but I had pre-sold 30 copies of it to people within the seminar, which was all part of the, um, part of the, the event really. So I then had to go and write the book, which I must've been doing. I can't remember exactly what year it was, but I must've been doing it around that time when I first met you, which yeah, was largely about, uh, about a never, never giving up and um, never say never attitude and get you know, just getting it done, which I'm, I'm really, uh, I'm smiling from ear to ear when you mention that stuff about, you know, because I know that some people that know me will listen to this and uh, they'll be like, oh, yeah, I know what he's talking about. 
the captain of the ship, you know, and everyone's going to go down. But we, we kind of never did, you know, we always hold it together. Yeah, I mean, we did for sure in the six months that I spent with you, and I didn't have any doubt that you, in any endeavor you took on in life, would, you know, be successful. But, you know, in our pre pre conversation before we started this, um, it hasn't been easy. I mean, it sounds like you've had some ups and downs. Um, you know, maybe just before we get into, you know, present day, Anthony, maybe you can just take us back a little bit. Because it sounds like, you know, is this, did you grow up in a family with this same kind of attitude? What was your upbringing like? You know, you, you grew up in a small little town in Victoria. Is that correct? A town called what? Bendigo? Yeah, that's right. Good, um, good, good memory or good uh, research. Um, perhaps. Um, yeah, I grew up in Bendigo and no, not really. My family are very, um, I, I, my, I have uh, two sisters and um, my mum and dad separated when I was quite young and I think that's had a pretty big impact on uh, on my attitude, I, I guess, sort of having to work pretty hard and fight pretty hard from a pretty young age um, and earn, you know, uh, nothing nothing came easy. Uh, it's a pretty standard pretty standard standard entrepreneur story I think when you are <laughs> when you read about them um, so yeah I grew up in a little town in Bendigo and and I I only finished year 10 and left home as soon as I could and I I tried so many different trades um, and so many different jobs from you know window tinting cabinet making plumbing building um, wardrobes in, installing things like that um, with with all you know family friends and things to try and work out what I wanted to do, but I fell into a kitchen um, washing dishes, and I loved it when I was fifteen, and that was um that was the end of me. I just wanted to be in a kitchen, uh, so I decided that I'd work really hard to get an apprenticeship. And these days, it's quite easy to get an apprenticeship. And when I was um, when I was fifteen, which is you know twenty two years ago now, it was you had to really work hard and and fight for an apprenticeship so um that's that was the path i chose and it was really good because it led you know i was able to travel and um work you could work anywhere and i can still work anywhere if i really wanted to um and and you know people are always looking for looking for chefs and that kind of led that that got me through a, a lot of my early you know my first seven seven or eight years before i started business was just traveling and loving the hospitality industry Right. What did what did you love so much about it? I mean, my experience with you was great. I mean, I fell in love with it as well. However, I mean, after six months, like I didn't ever see myself wanting to work in a kitchen again. Like, the, it is so much work, dude. Like, there are very few, I think, career choices a person can make where you actually have to put in the amount of fucking hours that you and your crew do. Like, I remember. Uh, Jeremy just laying on the floor one day in the kitchen. I walked in. I'm like, are you okay, dude? He's like, I've been here since like midnight, dude. And he worked a full day before. And it's like, how are you surviving? <laughs> that makes me cringe when I hear that. It's, um, it's certainly not uh, that bad anymore. But yeah, it's a tough game. Um, don't get me wrong. And the pressure, the pressure is high. I think that's all. Those things are what I love about it. I, I, I mean, I don't, I don't love the long hours um, as much anymore. But I, those years, that year in particular that you were with us, to, around 2010, 2011, we were just so crazy busy um, with because we were growing, so we were developing. I was, I was still learning so much about what the business actually needed and and how to how to make it work financially and 
was that was five years or six years. Um, I think we started in two thousand and six, so five years we'd been trading. Um, but yeah, that's kind of what I did love the, the the adrenaline through service, and you know everything has to happen in that instant. Um, particularly, you know, when customers are ordering their food, and and you know chefs are chefs are demanding the the the, the dishes and whatever you know whatever. You kind of have to respond to everything in the moment, so it's very present, I guess. Um, working in a kitchen, you, ha- you don't have much time to think about, um, what, you know, I don't know if you've got any if you've got any personal challenges within within your head, or you know, a lot of people get stuck in their head. That's a good opportunity to not be stuck in your head. That's true. Yeah, you're in the moment, just get, getting through every second of the the night. Um, yeah, yeah, that's interesting, man. Like, I remember just. I actually, because I was doing dish, like I really appreciated the responsibility you gave me to like go on the um, salad bar and then the pizza bar and then the dessert bar where I could, because sometimes doing dish was so monotonous, I would get it in my head. And I remember you came up to me one night and you're like, chaps, are you all right, dude? Like you just don't seem right. And I was so in my head about just the personal situation that was going on that when I started getting that added responsibility, it just, like you said, it brought me back into the moment and uh, really made a huge difference. Oh, that's so nice to hear. It really... Um that gives me goosebumps because it's to, for me it's people like you working for our team and within our team is what makes our makes it a success um more so than employing you know i, I don't even know if you'd worked in a kitchen you, and usually the the best the best people that we have even though it's quite often short-lived um are the ones with limited to no experience that have just got the right attitude and sometimes even just a desire to make money um you know, which maybe in the first instance is what gets people knocking on our doors. Um, but then beyond that, then people start to see that, um, you know, you, you've, if, if led correctly, then people can achieve some pretty amazing things. Um, but, you know, guys like you, I often, I often ref, refer to you in our team and particularly my business partner and things like that about, about what happens when you get someone with the right attitude and how much, you know, how, how much difference, because just as much as, you know, you appreciate the opportunity to to get off the dish, as you, as we as we call it. Um, I always appreciate the opportunity that we can give the opportunity because it also helps us. Um, in you know, I don't I don't then have to look for some skilled chef that usually comes with a lot of ego and a lot of arrogance um, to to look after a, a section because if I can train you correctly, then most of the time, especially in our businesses and our style of businesses. Our um, people like you end up doing as good, if not better, better job than what the um, chefs do. Oh, well, thank you. I appreciate that compliment. And um, I do want to touch upon one more thing that I always reference that you were always um, so gracious towards me with, which was yeah, showing me um, how to do things. You know, I, I watch all these chef shows, and they're just such fucking assholes. Some of these chefs, you know, like throwing shit. Like, and I remember you taking the time to come show me how to make, you know, the take the dough balls and roll them correctly and like in such a, a nice way that I could understand and I get yeah. try to you know pay it forward and, and do the same thing with people that I'm instructing with the surfing or whatever it is where it's like you don't have to be a dick like this person can easily learn if you gave them the information and the right tools to enable them you know and you were always somebody who did that oh, that's, yeah that's um that's exactly what it's all about I, I guess half the time people don't bother teaching or don't um or, or don't understand, or maybe it's not so, so much an understanding, but maybe subconsciously they don't want people to learn because um, it, it actually isn't that hard. Uh, and maybe by um, 
you know, maybe by sharing sharing the knowledge, they might feel a little bit less significant. I, I don't really know exactly why people don't do it. It actually baffles me. I think that in you know, it's all about you've got to teach, you've got to you've got to be passing on the knowledge and and to see you know the impact that it has. Like you, you remember those things. Some of those things you, you remember is that blows me away. That because I, I know exactly how I would have shown you how to do those dough balls, and I know exactly uh, what I what would have been going. How, how it would have trained you and to know that you, you, you've absorbed that and taken the lesson not so much about the dough balls but the, the, I guess the, the theory or the structure behind the teaching that's really cool that you've um, how you've taken that on board I love it right on brother um, well let's talk about then you know you went out and you got your apprenticeship within the chef in, uh, as a chef um, when did you decide to make the move to Margaret River what took you to Margaret River uh, well I, I worked up and down the east coast and lots of different kitchens and tried tried lots of you know did some high end kitchens and some fast paced kitchens and just tried a little bit of um, everything. I had a couple of really good mentors along the way and then I, I actually had a phone call from a friend of mine that I used to work with on on an island in the Whit Sundays and he said, "Oh, why don't you come to Margaret River? There's a head chef job going." And at the time I was 21, I think when when I got the call, maybe 22. Um, and I thought, well, I haven't been a head chef yet, and that was my next thing, um, because I'd sort of been a sous chef for a long time and worked in in big teams and little teams, and thought it would be a good opportunity. So I literally put, um, gave my notice and jumped in my car and went to Margaret River to take on a head chef role. Does the restaurant still exist today? The one that you were head chef at? Ah, uh, well, the restaurant that we that I came over to be head chef at in two thousand and five was. Um, to the restaurant, the Narrabah, where you ended up working. Um, okay. Yeah, so rather than closing, they came, they came to me and said, we're going to close, you have to find a new job. And I thought, oh, well, that's okay. You know, it was never hard to get another job. So that was – and then they came back to me about three weeks later and said, how would you feel about um, taking on the business as your own and uh, and we'll, we'll help you in the background as partners? And um, I thought, why not? <laughs> I'll give that a go. <laughs> I mean, yeah, financially, did you have to come up with any money or did they just kind of, you you put it in like an agreement where you would like through sweat equity earn, earn some of the money or pay some um, to that? I wish it was sweat equity. There was still a lot of sweat equity, but it, um, it wasn't, I had to come up with money. The Part of my agreement to going into it was that I would like to have seen, the, I wanted to see it renovated and, and, and turned around into something, you know, um, it needed to be refurbished. So my then partners are very clever, very savvy business people. They turned around and said, "Well, that's fine. We'll give you, um, we'll match you dollar for dollar. So every dollar you put in, we'll put in a dollar, and but we'll only put in up to thirty-five thousand dollars. So anything above that, if you want to put in more than that, then you've got to. That's that's your money. Not we won't eat, we won't match that. So um, yeah, that that was a cool story because I at twenty two or twenty one or however old I was, I think it was twenty two by that stage. Um, I no one no one gives a twenty two year old um, guy with no assets any money to build a restaurant. You know, restaurants are notoriously bad for making losses, um, and even probably worse so when you're twenty two years years old with no business experience. So I couldn't get any money. Um, but I started doing the work anyway, and I thought naively I thought that or ignorantly I thought that my business partners had enough money and they would just pay for it um, 
and I started doing all the manual labor that I possibly could, all the physical stuff. So then when I got a phone call saying, is your money in the bank? And I said, well, actually, I actually can't get a hold of any money. The banks won't give me any. I can't get credit cards and no one in my family's got any money. Um, and I'll never forget the words from my business partner who said, well, you better stop ripping up the fucking floor and hung up the phone on me and my belly. I remember the sinking feeling in my stomach. I was like, oh, geez, I've, I've really fucked up. Um, and then, yeah, he, he said, you better stop ripping, ripping up the fucking floor. And then he paused and he said, not a very good start to our business partnership, is it? And, uh, and that, that was it. And, and this is a true story. I, I hung up the phone and I, and I obviously felt terrible. And then I picked up the phone and rang my sister just out of desperation. And, and this is my sister, Samantha, who has never really had any money. And I don't know why at this point in time. Um, I thought that it was a good idea to call her, but I, I called her and said, I want to start a restaurant in Margaret River. Do you have any money? And this actually happened. She sort of said, oh, hang on a second. And she put her phone down and then asked her husband, and I could sort of hear the conversation happening in the background, saying, oh, my brother wants to start a restaurant in Margaret River. He needs $35,000. Um, have we got any money? And he said, yeah, no worries. That's, that's okay. Um, you know, can he pay it back in a year? And I was like, and I'm listening, and I was like, yep, yep, I'll pay it back in a year with all the interest. And uh, no shit, the next day she put $35,000 in my bank. And then, you know, as they say, the rest is history. That's an awesome story, man, and just another example of, yeah, you know, put that one foot in front of the other and start working in one direction and, and shit starts to happen for you. That's awesome, dude. Yeah, it's pretty amazing. That's um. That, that, was, that was a big turning point. I, I, I think I have told my sister how grateful I am, but at the time I had no idea. You know, I was just, I was just winging it, and um, it came off. And you paid it off in a year. Yeah, paid it off in a year, and uh, with with interest, and um, it was yeah, not not a drama. You know, we've borrowed a little bit of money since then to do other business ventures, but that was um, that was the the biggest, um, you know, the heart, the probably the most one of the hardest things in. In business, because particularly at that time, at that age, with no experience, getting a hold of money is, is really, really difficult. Yeah, so have you had to take personal loans out from family again, or are you now getting money from the banks? No, well, the banks look after us now, and um, we have people that are interested in you know investing alongside of us now. So, you know, life, from a business point of view, we're well-established and well-respected um, in, in our area, so... It's finding money is, is not as difficult as it, as it was. Oh, that's awesome, dude. Yeah, let's take the audience a little bit through um, since I left you in 2011, kind of what's kind of gone down, you know, summarizing. Because so when I left, you know, you own the Narbar, you own the White Elephant, and then you picked up another restaurant called Maury's. So that's three enterprises in total. And then you had like, I think, a catering business as well because you were catering uh, the Margaret River Pro, which is a surf competition as well, probably with other things too. So um, can you kind of take us through those enterprises and, and maybe maybe talk about some of the ups and downs, like you know maybe the biggest mistakes versus the biz, biz, biggest successes that you've had along the way with those enterprises and the changes that have occurred? Yeah, sure. Well, I mean, from, from when you left, I just had my first, um, my first child and then took on, took on Maury's, um, which is a small bar in, in the main street. And, um, Probably one of the biggest lessons 
or the biggest thing, uh, biggest challenges that that hit me was that I had probably not. This is going to sound like I'm full of myself, um, but hopefully, hopefully, I can communicate it clearly enough that it, that it's not not uh, intended that way. But I probably hadn't thought uh, put enough importance on my role within the business, um, and when I had one business and it was me, I was kind of in, in not in control necessarily, but I was showing people like you how to do the dough balls. Um, and, and I was doing that with our entire team and, you know, still, but when, when you, when you grow to two and three and in this little community, it, it was, I, I spread myself way too thin and I was trying to be everywhere at once and be be the person that I needed to be to everybody at once, um, and I just couldn't. I couldn't do it. So, I think one of the biggest changes occurred when, in two thousand and twelve, towards the end of two thousand and twelve, my um, I, my baby was ten months old, and I remember my wife bringing her to my to the back door of the restaurant to say good night, and uh, I remember looking at her, my wife holding my baby, and then looking at my baby, and I was like. It actually makes me a bit emotional talking about it, but I was like, "Oh shit, this is not um, this is no, this is no life. This is not a good life. This is not a good, this is not good for my baby. It's not, you know, it's not good, for, not good for me. It's not good for my wife. Um, I've, I need to make, I need to do some, do something. Because at that point, I was, you know, in, in one day, I could do a breakfast service at the White Elephant Cafe, whether I'm on the coffee machine or cooking meals at breakfast then I could run to Murray's and spend most of the afternoon at Murray's and then I could run back to the common and do a dinner service at the common or any one of those three combinations could could you know would result in a 17 18 hour day where I just was just running you know usually just putting out fires um so anyway I'd realized at that point when I saw my daughter's eyes and my wife's eyes that I needed to um I needed to do something and do it pretty quick and I thought at that point that I should find a partner um up until that point, I'd bought my I'd bought my existing partners out in 2009 or something like that. So I'd been trading on my own for a few years. So I thought I'd look for an operating partner to take some of the heat off. And I um, approached one of the guys that worked for us called Alex, and I basically went in with the idea to sell him Morris, but I would coach him so that I could hand the business over to him um, and let him. Um, learn from me and then take take the reins and own it himself and buy it through profits and sweat equity over a period of three or four years. Um, and what we set that up, we set that deal up. He, he came on board and, and he, it, we ended up working really, really well together. And I, he, you know, from 2012 to 2015, um, you know, he, he, I know that he'll, he'll listen to this and he'll agree that, uh, his life got considerably better and so did mine. Um, and as a result of the way that things were going with Murray's, I, I had thought to myself that I might actually look at bringing Alex, seeing if he wants to come across um, the my, the white elephant business, which was always a great little business for me um, and was kind of like the, the, the business that kept everything else, you know, in line. So I offered him a share of that as well. And I think at that point it was like a 25% share. Um, so yeah, we, we formed a really good, um, bond as business partners, but also as, as friends and 
I guess uh, it's been really good for him and really good for me. Yeah, because now, I mean, pre-conversation, now you've started the Margaret River Hospitality Company. Is that correct? And that's kind of the parent company to all these uh, restaurants? Yeah, so we did – we were kind of on a big growth mission. Um, so it's kind of hard to get all this, you know, and then and truncate it down into into what what it is now. But we – we were on a bit of a growth mission. Um, probably still don't really understand why, to be honest, because um, what we've sort of learned, you know, about the direction and where we want to be probably is not really conducive to having loads of businesses and lots of growth. Um, but anyway, in 2015, we decided that we'd, we'd push for a bit more growth, and by doing that, we'd bring in a chef partner to our business and we would um, – we we would then be able to – I would be able to keep an eye on business development and finances and Alex would be able to stay across, which is my, my business partner now, um, would be able to operations and sort of general operations and then the chef would be able to be across all the kitchens um, and ultimately sharing the three major roles within a hospitality company amongst three people. Um and so we did that in 2015. We brought a chef partner in and, you know, uh, a chef partner was in he, – he was kind of engaged or not employed but he was his role was to oversee all the kitchen operations and um, a, lot of, a lot of the things that were supposed to be taken care of weren't getting taken care of. So from 2015 to 2017 we had really underperforming kitchens and high expenses and – uh, and you know, poor culture, and ultimately nearly sank us altogether. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah, it was crazy, um, crazy time, and you know, really, really nice person, really, really good bloke, nice chef, um, but just not the right fit for the business. And we probably my my biggest mistake was that I I don't love dealing with conflict, and it, and it was going to be it was going to be a situation that brought brought conflict with it where I needed to approach it and for two years I kind of knew that I needed to and for two years I I kind of kept trying lots of different little things to see if I could make it work with with the business dynamic that we had and, and ultimately I couldn't and in the end it took a pretty hard conversation. Alex ended up pulling me aside and I'd always been the mentor to Alex and 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 at this point he pulled me aside and said I think you really need to do something about it and <laughs> Then I had to have a hard conversation with the, with the chef partner to, to sort of get him to leave the group and um, that all happened in 2017 and then, uh, and you know, Alex and I took stock really at that point. We're like, right, we need to have a big, you know, a, a real think about the clear direction and what we want in our future and both of us are very lifestyle driven and both of us are very family driven. Um, we both like to surf. I'm a pretty keen kite surfer and surfer. Alex is a really keen surfer. Um, and he's got two kids. I have three kids, and we want to enjoy as much life as we possibly can with those, with our families, and not be, you know, not be a, a slave to the work. Um, so we made some decisions. We sold off Morris um, to someone who had a bit more energy for it, and then we sort of focused, reined our focus back into looking after the beach, our two beachside venues, and uh, really just taking a little bit more control over the. The businesses and probably not treating them as corporate as what we were the direction we we're heading. That's beautiful. That's a nice story, and I want to touch upon one aspect of it. But just so the audience understands, 
So AJ now owns you know the Nara Bar and White Elephant, which are right across the street from each other. But the Nara Bar has now become the Common. Um, so That's when right. that name gets refer- uh, referenced, you can know that it's the Nara Bar, but now it's called the Common. Um, I think the locals still call it the Nara Bar anyway. Chaps. <laughs> Do they? <laughs> um, when when you can you just take us through maybe um, the process in which you would go about you know looking for a business partner, and then the process of asking a business partner to walk away and how that all kind of functions because that's yeah, a, that's a skill set in itself. I feel like I I know from a fact I'm not good at picking employees and business partners. I've had amazing business partners, but I didn't. The ones that I've picked weren't, and the ones that I just fell into. I had amazing relationships with. So maybe can you talk us through how you go about it? Yeah, sure. Well, I think, um, you know, my first business partners were, um, were already like quite well-established business, business people that had multiple hotels and restaurants. And, but, you know, for me, um, and although this is not speaking bad of them, I was kind of like a pawn in their chess game. And, but, you know, I was very happy to be the pawn in the chess game. And I only know that now looking back, um, so, you know, they, they needed something from me and I needed something from them and, and, and that was very much a business transaction more than anything else. Um, so I, I guess I've always just looked to structure deals very similar to what my business partner structured for me and, and keep it very, um, very business and, and not too emotional. Um, and very, very, everything's got to be really well documented. Now, not in the sense that it needs to cost $10,000 for a lawyer to draw up an agreement, which, you know, I've made all those mistakes too, but just very clear on what each party has got to deliver in, in regards to the, um, in regards to, to the operation. So I think firstly, my first thing would be to, you know, say for Alex, for instance, when I was, when I was wanting a business partner to take on Maury's, I, I knew I needed someone young who had energy and was hungry. Um, and wanted to do their own business. But I knew for that I wanted someone that was green with not too much experience because I was looking for somebody that had what I had when my business partners saw whatever they saw in me. Um, And so ultimately I I thought that Alex possessed some of those qualities. He was young. He was hungry. He he didn't have a great deal of experience. He had a a bit of business in his family, a bit of back – um, so, you know, so he, 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 he'd watched his dad do business and, um, and he just wanted to succeed and he wanted to, he would, he was prepared to do whatever it took. So I guess from, from there it was then, it's then about making sure that, um, sorry, I hope that's not too loud chaps. No, that's all good, dude. Um, yeah, so I, I just needed to make sure that I found a, um, a, a person that was really that was really hungry and committed and 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 keen to to do their own thing and then I had to make sure that I was providing the support and the mentorship that's required so I don't just leave him leave leave that person to their own devices so to speak so I'm never really looking for someone with loads of experience. Yeah, um, it sounds like and then, it's in your best interest to more or less shape them in a way that. Um, is is kind of how you built the business. You don't want somebody who's already owned a restaurant has thirty years of experience in the way they've done business. Like you want them to fall into line with what you've created because you know it's a successful formula. That's yeah, hundred percent right. And that's and so getting really clear on what the expectations are. And you know, I know for Alex, like I I had I was very I was I was it was so easy for me to communicate what it's going to take for him to succeed in the restaurant business. 
um, because I had succeeded in a, in a really tough environment, um, you know, with a really small, um, a small population around us that, you know, we, you know, you know, Narrabup in Margaret river, it's, it's tiny. Um, and we were able to make a restaurant succeed out there. So, you know, I, I, I kind of knew what I, I knew what he needed to do. And, and as long as he listened, um, to some of those, some of that advice, then and then obviously it's important that they can also apply some of their own uh, knowledge and their own ideas because you don't want it to be like a, a puppet on a string kind of thing because otherwise no one really wins. Um, so I, I, I kind of just make sure the expectations are really clear and well documented and well communicated, um, and that's where we went wrong with the with the chef partner. Um, we went after a personality more than we went after someone that that um, had the 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 general the general experience needed to run three very different styles of kitchens um, and and we probably went after some with lots of experience in a kitchen but not so much with management and business and um, and really what we should have done was worked with our team from the ground up and found someone to slowly bring through the ranks. You know, we brought someone in at a high level and put them above everybody else, and it ultimately didn't go down too well. I see. So, yeah, like empower those who are already within the system, giving them more in, you know, incremental responsibilities that hopefully that they could become that person for you. Yeah, 100%, which is, you know, again, just an expensive expensive lesson. And, and to, to, to the second part of your question of how, how, we gone, how did you go about asking, you know, finding that, person then asking that person to leave well it, it it's pretty straightforward we do a lot on on intuition and we do a lot on um a lot of honesty and a lot of communication so you know it was actually just a conversation at my house with him and his wife um and it was very obvious we'd had several conversations um leading up to it that it wasn't working um the businesses weren't performing we had no control over the kitchens all of the costs in the kitchens were were skyrocketing um, and we were paying a lot of money to that role as well so you know you can imagine when you you know you hear that term hemorrhaging cash mm-hmm. imagine you know we were paying $120,000 a year to a senior salary plus another senior salary of another $80,000 so there's $200,000 of combined salaries to run kitchens but all of the costs within the kitchen so payroll costs and food costs we're all going through the roof and the, and staff were leaving and the culture was poor and, you know, so it was, we were spending $200,000 more than what we probably needed to to get an even worse result. And and so so really the conversation, although it was hard emotionally, it, matter of fact, it was pretty straightforward, you know. Because you, you, is... you could show them the piece of paper and say, like, this is what's happened since your arrival kind of thing. Yeah, and this is what we agreed. This is the expectation, and this is the reality, and the two don't stack up. I had all the. I remember having the conversation, and to be honest, it didn't even get to needing to pull out any pieces of paper or any any uh, partnership agreements or anything because it was. It, I actually think that um, the my partner at the time. I I actually think he he said to me, "It's not working," and I said, "Yeah, it's it's not." Um, and we gave him all his money back and, um, and we also painted a really nice picture for, um, for the, for him, for the community. And, you know, because at the end of the day, he still is a great bloke and a really good chef, 
just didn't work from a business point of view. Right on. I mean, it's, yeah, very, uh, I think, intuitive, business savvy as well. And I think uh, an approach that, you know, many entrepreneurs should be taking, you know, when it comes down to those hard conversations, because it doesn't have to be sitting in a room with two, like, you know, lawyer up, bud, like get your lawyer involved. Like you can have an amicable, you know, partnership that dissolves and you go to your separate ways. Yeah, 100%. And, and that's kind of, you know, um, we, we, we can still, we can still um, engage socially and our, our kids are friends and, you know, we don't have any, there's, there's no, you know, a lot didn't work from a business point of view. And there is definitely, a, there's definitely a sour taste there because, because obviously there was a lot of time and a lot of money, but um, shit, you can't, we're, we're not, you can't, you can't be governed by that or, you, can, you know, can't hold on to that, so. Yeah, water under the bridge, like you used to say. Yeah, um, I, I sleep well. Um, let's just really quickly talk about vision because, I mean, you've kind of touched upon it, but I'd like to hear you kind of just state, you know, where your whole enterprise is moving now because you've talked about, you know, simplifying, get, getting back to, you know, what you're best at, which is chefing, but I know you don't want to be a full-time chef. So, I mean, you have three kids, which, by the way, is you know not a man-on-man defense anymore, dude. It's a zone defense. So I hope you're <laughs> <laughs> hope you're ready for that. Um, and yeah, what's what's your life look like in the next ten years? Yeah, well, I guess now it's we've really Alex and I, Alex and I, um, friendship and partnership is is stronger than ever, and and we have really started to look at everything we do and how we do how we do it. Um, and make sure that we only take on, um, you know, <laughs> when when you talked earlier about the, you know, how the fuck are we going to get through this and, you know, the captain of the ship, like uh, that's always been me that's been like, yep, we'll do that, yep, we'll do this, we can take that on, yep, I'll do that, I've got this. And before you know it, you, you know, but you can't do that with a, with a family of three and, and a wife and 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 lifestyle and businesses and all the people that work with you and for you. And it's, you, you, you know, you actually end up not being able to do anything properly. So we've sort of now just gone, well, everything we do now, we make sure we can do it properly and make sure we know what's going on. Um, and that it works first and foremost for us. Cause, um, we have also spent a lot of time, um, doing a lot of things for a lot of other people and um and we we and 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 all quite often at our own peril so we're now we're now just making sure that it's working for us and then also obviously for our team we still employ 60 people so it's we're still a pretty we're still a pretty solid operation um but also now just focusing on beachside um all of our beachside operations and we've one attender to build uh, cafe in Dunsborough, um, which is very similar to the White Elephant. So that's uh, anything beachside now is is um, is our drive and our future. Why is that? Just because you really understand the model because of the first two businesses, or why beachside so special to you? Hundred percent. Well, we just love the lifestyle. It's it's a there's no alcohol um, in our in our beachside cafes. It's very family. Um, it's very family. Friendly, the 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 food model we've got, we've we've been able to really spend some time getting that model dialed, um, and we've just got a really nice system and process now, and both of us understand it at a high level, which means that at any given time, and you know, so I've always been of the attitude that I can't be relied upon, otherwise it won't work, um, 
but we've sort of got it to a point now that it doesn't matter if we if any one of our team ever let us down, you know, and, and it doesn't matter how good people are, they, you still get let down. Chefs still leave in the middle of, you know, busy summers and things still happen to your, to your people. And, and whilst we lost so much control over the years, um, we, at, at any given time, at any given point now, if anything happens within our businesses, we can fix it. Just because of the symptoms or the system, sorry, that you have put in place, is that what you're implying? Yeah, the systems and also the um, the fact that we've scaled back, um, and both of us have got a lot more hands on. So um, we we've we've reorganised and restructured kitchens, and we have full control over the front of house operations and menus. Everything you know, chefs used to write all the menus, and and we would sometimes not even look at a menu before it gets published or. Um, or, or, or set in stone and now you know everything is done all the recipes are all done all the prep lists all the little things that that go into running a kitchen are all organized and there's a process around it now um, so we're not just relying on the skill set of a particular chef uh, because they, they they do usually in my in my experience everyone always tends to do the best that they possibly can but sometimes the best isn't what we need, if, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So then how, how many hours a week do you think you're putting into this venture right now? Uh, probably about 25 to 30 at, at the moment, depending. I've, I'm looking after all of the wedding functions. That's sort of my main role. And the Dunsborough development, um, which is very, um, you know, it's very hit and miss as far as how much time I need to, to put into it. It's very up and down. Um, but about anywhere from anywhere from 15 to 25 hours a week nice i mean so that's i mean that's your full-time gig 15 to 25 hours a week yeah yep well done dude congratulations and it was a lot worse when you were around wasn't it oh god i mean you had just like you you worked i think uh maybe a week or two in the kitchen with with me as as like head chef or on the lat like calling all the shots and uh forget what the term is but and then you were starting to pull yourself out of the kitchen yeah um well, man, you know, it's a pleasure talking to you. You think you can maybe just leave us with uh, – or imagine that somebody out there hears your story, wants to start a restaurant. Can you give us uh, – give them some, you know, words to live by, some words to think about, some wise words? Yeah, sure. Well, I think, uh, you know, if I go all business on it, um, know your numbers <laughs> and trust your gut. Um, and if I, uh, if I think about from a – from an intuition or spiritual um, point of view, then I, I think it's so important to really understand that w- where your focus is, but your focus will change. So, um, you know, and that's probably something I didn't realize. Like I, I'd always thought that running, you know, the way that I used to run business when you were around, I just thought that's how I would be able to do it forever. But your focus does change with, with your lifestyle changes. So don't, you, you, you probably don't, you want to know that although you might be doing something a particular way, you are going to change and people around you are going to change. So, for instance, I'm ready for my business partner who when I first met him, I was, I've been prepared over the years for him to start growing up family and start wanting to want different things in his life. Um, and I think the awareness around those things is, is really, really important because, um, you know, it's, it's not just all about business and making money. Um, and those those other things it's really really important to pay attention to um to changes yeah having that you know line of communication sounds like one of those things that a lot of people don't 
uh, put enough value on as they incorporate it into their business and just expect people to follow follow the lead of the leader and sometimes you need to sit down and even check the leader yeah too right I, I find that it's probably one of the hardest things in my business is that uh, although I, I do hold myself accountable I'm I don't necessarily and Alex does hold me accountable to a certain extent as well but it's you know it sometimes I wish that someone was holding me accountable mm-hmm. um because you've when you've got to hold yourself accountable and you'd know this too chaps with what what your 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 um direction that you've chosen like it's up to you <laughs> and if you don't do it well you know who knows who knows what what happens and in, if, if, if you haven't got somebody like when you're working with us I, you know I could tell you what to do and that's kind of a bit easier isn't it you know someone's always giving you your next job whereas you've got to make it happen yourself so so beautifully said brother thank you so much for joining us for this conversation it was a pleasure my man no worries thanks chaps Wow, thank you, AJ, for coming on and sharing your story. You have been a huge inspiration for me and how I conduct my business, and I hope the audience as well gets a lot out of this and conducts their business in a similar way with that positive attitude that empowers um, each employee to be the best they can be within the business structure. Please remember to pull out your phone and subscribe. Please follow me at Misfits and Rejects on Instagram, and please consider going out and designing a life that you've always dreamed of. Get out there. Try it. Take that first step. It's not going to be easy. You don't necessarily have to jump on a plane and fly around the world or fly it to the other side of the world to fulfill that goal or dream. For a lot of people, it's within your own neighborhood. But I hope these stories really inspire you to consider taking that first step, getting out there and and doing what you're passionate about, what you've dreamed of, what you've always wanted. And please remember, I genuinely, genuinely, genuinely think that anything is accomplishable. If you put your mind to it, you work hard. Of course, there's some luck, but... We have to all take that first step, take responsibility for our own lives. And please also remember, also, that I think you all are so very beautiful. Ciao. Thank you for listening to Misfits and Rejects. I hope this inspires you to think about your life situation, where you're at, and possibly make a big decision to choose something different for yourself if you're unhappy with where you're at in life. I hope these people that I interview inspire you to go out, spread your wings, and try something new, to live a different lifestyle that maybe your whole life people were telling you was the wrong one, but when in fact it's the perfect one for you. And I'll see you next time.